Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And hello. We hope you all had a wonderful Christmas season and Happy New Year. Hey, parenting in a modern world. The world's even more modern now, honey. It's 2016. Right. Parenting gets harder every year, so parenting will be harder now than it was in 2015, right? (laughs) Right. It really is a challenge, and the scarier the world gets, the more we realize how deliberate we have to be in our parenting and grandparenting to make it work. Now, you know, we we happened to write our Deseret News Weekly column last week on, on New Year's resolutions and on diet, a new diet, and, and we get a few people calling and saying, hey, what does that have to do with parenting? What does that have to do with families? I thought you guys were writing on, on family, marriage, parenting-type subjects. Why do you spring up with a column here on, on a, a new diet for a New Year's resolution? And that's a legitimate question, but isn't it interesting, Linda, that so often the problems or the concerns or the conundrums that people have in their family often involve their health? They involve, are they up to the task, the very demanding task of being a good parent and a good spouse and keeping a family going together? You need all the strength and effort you can get and we've got unfortunately more perhaps more so in america than anywhere else in the western world a lot of people who are carrying around a lot of extra weight and i mean that in a sort of a double meaning if you if you're heavy if it's hard for you to move if it's hard for you to be vigorous if it's hard for you to be up to the demands of family life that's a you're carrying a weight both mentally and physically that makes every part of life a little harder, including your first priority of your children and your spouse and your family. You know, I do have to say, we have to admit it, Richard, we, uh, we started a diet today. I mean, not a diet, but and this fad diet thing of going up and down, I have done a hundred times. I, I have lost 200 pounds in my day, but it's just the same 10 pounds, up and down, <laughs> up and down. And it really is harder to... Um, uh, talk to people. It's harder to relate with your kids and be patient with them when you feel like you are just heavy. I mean, I feel like I can't even sit up straight in the car. I mean, <laughs> I <laughs> oh, just feel rolls on my face. Even I got a little roll on my face over the holidays. Oh my gosh! Anyway, um, it really is. Where's the little roll on your face? I haven't noticed. Well, it. I tried to show the uh, <laughs> the guy who was helping me with another problem on my face that and I, he said, "Do you think?" I said, "Do you think that's fat?" <laughs> he just laughed at me and said, "No, it's not fat. It's just might be just have to do with aging a little bit." <laughs> and so. Anyway, but there are things that you that we need to be aware of that do affect our family. Well, here's the thing. Uh, you know, many of you listeners know this because there's articles about it all the time, but the number one resolution every single New Year's is about losing weight. I mean, it's way ahead of any other resolution in terms of how many people make that resolution. And unfortunately... It's probably also number one as far as the resolution that is most frequently and most early meets its doom or or is broken. People set good goals for weight loss and for getting in shape and so on, and then 
get back into the grind of the new year and, and promptly uh, throw that resolution out the window. Or, or even more often, do have some success and do shed some pounds, and it's short-lived. Those pounds come back on, and, and there's nothing quite as, you know, if you had two people and one had never tried a diet, never lost any weight, and one had tried many diets, from the carb diet to a calorie diet to a protein diet to whatever other paleo diet, a Mediterranean diet. Somebody's tried them all and had a little success with all of them, up and down, up and down. Which of those two people is the most discouraged? I'm going to say it's probably the one that's that's tried and sort of succeeded, failed, succeeded, failed, succeeded, failed, that person's probably more upset about dieting and more discouraged about the whole nature of it than someone who, bless their heart, has never, ever tried to diet before. Well, it's just the old adage, the old deal in your life. I love to eat and I love good food. So do I love to eat more than I love to feel good? That is the way you have to weigh. I mean, you just... I feel so much better when I'm 10 pounds lighter. My clothes fit better. Everything's better. But I just love to eat. So you have to come to grips with that and decide which one you want or to figure out some kind of balance of that, which I think you're going to head into. Well, I think, you know, we've uh, some of you who listen regularly know we've spent a lot of time this past year in Europe. And it, it is really interesting to see how, uh, how relatively few people there are in, uh, let's take France, for example, let's take Paris. In fact, there was one really one diet book recently had a fantastic title. I thought, "Why French Women Don't Get Fat," and that book sold a lot of copies because that's an intriguing question. Because when you think of France, you think of good food, you think of rich food, you think of a lot of gourmet food with a lot of sauce on it, butter, and, and, and yet, yeah, the real secret of French cooking is butter and cream, right? Right. But when you when when you observe uh, Parisians walking around the street, it's it's very rare to see a seriously overweight person, and and I think, and this is we're sort of easing into something that's been on our minds for a long time, and and as we said at the outset of the show, it does have to do with families and with parenting and with marriage and so on, and that is that uh, it's not so much. Uh, about some calculated science of some technical diet where you're counting everything. It's more about how you eat and how you view the whole idea of uh, what what eating is, really. And I will say this about most, uh, and again, we're generalizing here, but in a lot of parts of Europe, people do just what you were saying earlier, Linda. They really do love food. They really enjoy food. They eat it much more slowly, and that's one of the first points I want to emphasize. They eat it much more slowly, and what they tend to do is to sip, savor, and smell rather than gulp, guzzle, and gorge. How's that for a little, uh, (laughs) uh, what do you call that, Uh, alliteration, right? Alliteration, absolutely. Instead of gulp, guzzling, and gorging, how about a little more sipping, savoring and smelling, slowing down how we eat can have an amazing effect on on how on A how much you enjoy your food and B how much weight you don't gain. 
You know, it, it really is true that I, as a mother, am just refueling most of the time. You know, when our kids were all home, I was just lucky if I got anything in my mouth. But it was all day, a little snack here, a little snack there, carry a package of nuts with me so that I could keep the protein up and keep going. But I just was not aware of what I was eating. I was just uh, guzzling snacky stuff all the time, which <laughs> does not help. Oh, the snacks can kill you. Well, we're kind of beating around the bush here. What we're going to get to as we come up to the break, I'll introduce it to you and then really get into it after our little break, is the fact that bottom line is we got so tired of all the fad diets and all the you really can read a lot of nonsense. Let's be honest. You can read a lot of nonsense, a lot of sort of pseudoscience about dieting and so on, and you can really confuse yourself. And we got so tired of it that we, or I, I guess I'm the one that decided I've got to write a diet book for myself. I've got to do it. And I, I have to tell you, you know, that one of the things that bothers you as an author is when you put your blood and sweat and tears into a book and, and hope that it sells, and then you see these goofy diet books that sell ten times more copies than any other book. So maybe I was partly motivated by wanting to have a <laughs> diet book. But, you know, I wrote a book about ten years ago and did it under a pseudonym. I didn't want to put my name out there. I thought, who's going to read a diet book by Richard Iyer? I'm not known for dieting or nutrition. I don't really have any expertise. But I wanted a common sense approach that essentially didn't get into all the nonsense that makes eating a task and a chore. I wanted a, a diet book that says you can enjoy your food, eat it slower, eat a little less of it, and you can increase your enjoyment at the same time that you decrease your weight. And I worked on that for years, and 10 years ago we finally published it with a pseudonym, and the pseudonym or the pen name was Dr. Brydell. And I chose that name because the metaphor for the book is uh, something a lot of you listeners are familiar with, the whole metaphor of bridling a horse, which comes through big time in the Book of Mormon, and uh, but that's not the only place you hear it. And it's a beautiful metaphor because you've got a a horse which represents your appetite, and it's strong, it's powerful. And a lot of people think, i got to kill it, i got to kill that that horse. If I don't, it'll kill me. I've got to shut it down. I've got to lock it in the barn. I've got to get rid of it. And and the whole approach of the Dr. Bridell diet book was, no, no, no. It's a horse. What you need to do is bridle it. It can be your friend. Your appetite can lead you to joy and pleasure and all kinds of wonderful things if you're able to keep it bridled. So the whole Bridell book was about trying to develop enough discipline, enough bridling, that you end up eating half of each meal. So you, you don't worry about what you're going to change what you eat. You don't count calories. You don't count starches. You don't count carbs. You eat what you want to eat, what you've always eaten, but you cut it in half. And that sounds so simple that it's almost ridiculous, but it is incredibly hard to do. And so the book developed some some intermediate steps, some habits that were easier to form in building up to the to the habit of only eating half. 
And I'm going to tell you some of those. And, and the bottom line is, we finally decided we liked the book well enough and it helped enough people and enough people commented on it positively. And our publisher demanded it. And so I finally published the book just this week under my real name. So it's called The Half Diet Diet. And it actually says Richard Iyer is the author. And it's just hitting the stores next week, and it's uh, it's on Amazon uh, just as of yesterday. And so I want, with your help, Linda, because I my name's on it, but let's face it, we developed a lot of this together. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, I I have been eating half for years, and the problem is that I just keep going back to the snacks. I really don't eat very much at mealtime. <laughs> Because I just eat half, and then um, I gravitate back to snacks. But I, I think you can't say you just go ahead and eat what you've always eaten because if somebody's just going through a bag of cookies every day, that, that is, you can't well, just no, eat half no, a bag. You know, well, let me clarify. The, the basic bottom line of this diet, this half-diet diet, is you eat three half meals a day. And on the meals, you, you eat basically what you've always eaten, but you eat only half of it. And then you say, any snacks I have between those three meals will be only fruit or vegetables, nothing else but fruit or vegetables. And you put those two together, I know it works. We have thousands of people who have tried it and who know it works, but it is very, very hard to get to that habit. So after this break, we'll tell you a couple of easier habits that will lead you up to the eating only half habit. And we'll all be happier as we lose weight in 2016. See you. We'll be right back after this little break. Iyer's on the Road, parenting in a modern world. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. Well, on the advertisements, if you happen to stay tuned to that, somebody said, when the lights are out, I have to say that last night our lights were out for seven hours oh in park city and the temperature was minus eight minus degrees. nine actually wow. by the time they actually came back on again that is scary you don't realize how much you rely on electricity till you don't have have it but back to the point how do you freeze out your diet how do you freeze out eating too much how do you how do you get into some habits that are not really a diet? The problem with the word diet, Linda, I think most would agree. It's like a quick fix, like let's do this for six months and, or two months or one month or whatever, and then we'll have to worry about it again. That's not how it works. That's where you get the up and down thing. So how do you establish some lifestyle habits that allow you to stay at a level of weight and vigor that you really want to be. And, and you know, I mean, for us it started out with this knowledge that if we could just limit our meals to half of what we were normally eating each meal, and if we could just only eat fruit and vegetables for snacks in between, we knew it would work, but it was so, 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 so hard because appetites, don't forget, it's like the horse and the bridle. The horse is... 10 times stronger than you are and unless you really have an effective bridle and as we thought about it we began to believe and I think we've now proven this in our own minds that you you know think about what your appetite is your appetite has a job the job of your appetite is to get enough nutrients into your body to keep you alive and to keep you 
functional and keep you doing well. Now, if you're a person that eats a lot of junk food, your appetite will say, well, you know, I'll just go for quantity. I'll get enough of this bad food that even though it's not very rich in nutrients and the things that, that I need for the body, if you eat enough of it, I'll be able to pull out of that junk enough nutrients to do my job as an appetite and keep the body going. Now, what happens if you bridle that quantity and you say, no, no, this is all I'm eating, this much, this half? What we believe happens is that your your appetite then, since it cannot get more quantity, no matter how it tries, because you've got it bridled, you're disciplining it, then it starts going for quality instead. Because don't forget, its job is to get enough nutrients into the body. If it can't get it through big quantities of junk food, then it starts demanding more quality. I'm only going to get X amount. I better be sure that that amount has nutrients in it. And what happens is vegetables and fruits and other wholesome food begin to look better to you and appeal more to you. And junk food loses its appeal because if you only get half of junk food, you're not going to get enough nutrients. So that's the theory behind it. The problem is how in the world do you do it? You can sit there and say, I'm just going to, when I get, when I get my meal tonight, I'm just going to eat exactly half of what I usually do. Or if I go out to a restaurant, I'm going to, I'm going to either box up and bring home for the dog or whatever, half of it, but I'm only going to eat half. We have one, one follower of the diet that says he boxes up half of every meal and he goes and get, he lives in a downtown area. He gives it to a homeless person. I mean, there's a million ideas about what to do with the other half and so on. But, but the problem is when you really get hungry, you say, oh, maybe I'll start this tomorrow. Maybe I'll do this another time. So what I want to suggest, Linda, and, and you know, this will be fun to talk about it together, some intermediate habits that someone can develop which sort of makes it possible for them to develop the ultimate habit, which is to only eat half of each meal. Well, I think what you're forgetting to say, um, and it's an important part, is water. You need to drink water. Well, that's water. the first habit. You go ahead yeah. and introduce that. You need to drink water before you start a meal. And, and often when I'm hungry, if I drink water, it just is, it's in my stomach. It, it satisfies me. Um, not as much as um, candy bar, but it does satisfy my hunger, and so that I settles down, and I don't think I have to have something right now. And so I think if you kind of fill up your tummy before you start, then then half of the food is just okay. And then when you get hungry again in three hours, drink more water first before you have a snack. Um, I I know you're going to go into the vegetable thing, so maybe I won't. Well, no, no, no. Let me. Let, what I what I'm I'm trying to simplify this, and you haven't even heard me say this, Linda, but if you want to get to this ultimate habit of only eating half, there are two precursor habits that you can develop which will make the half habit quite a bit easier, if that makes sense. And the first one is the water habit. I call it the water habit. And, you know, listen, we know that most Americans are chronically dehydrated. A lot of us think, oh, we drink a lot of Diet Coke, or oh, I drink a lot of soda, or oh, I drink a lot of juice or something. The fact is that uh, it's water that really hydrates a person. We have a doctor friend who who says, if I could just get all my patients to drink enough water, half the half their health issues would be 
resolved because your body your body is mostly water as we all know so anyway you said it pretty well and the first habit and when i say habit you develop this to the point where you just do it all the time. You, you, it starts with the bridle, with the discipline, but it becomes a habit. And the first one is, before every meal, drink a tall glass of water. And if you do that, um, number one, your stomach, as you said, will be partly full and you won't feel quite as hungry and it'll, it'll be easier to just eat half the food. Number two, you'll stay hydrated. And then you, you even added to this, Linda, then when you get hungry for a snack in between meals, you know, you may have to, ha- you know, you want to have an apple or you want to have a carrot or you want to eat something healthy. But even before you do that, you drink some water first. And by developing this water habit, you keep yourself hydrated and you make it easier to develop the eating half habit. Does that make sense so far? Um, yeah, totally. <laughs> okay. Now let me just quickly say the second habit, and, and we touched on this in the first half of the show. The se- first habit is the water habit. The second habit is the slow habit. This is actually a fun habit to develop. It, it simply involves eating your food much more slowly. The best way to do it, I mean, people say, well, chew it more, sip it more, savor it more masticate it for a while and enjoy the full flavor and that's all fine but the best way to develop the habit is really simple set your fork down between every bite well first of all take small bites big bites do not enhance the taste of food small bites then set the fork down chew the bite think about it for a minute then pick the fork back up take another bite what happens is a very it's like a mathematical formula you eat Twice as slow. In other words, you eat you, you eat as you know exactly twice as slow as you usually do, which then causes you to eat half as much food in the same amount of time. So it's a little mathematical formula: twice as slow, half as much, equals the same amount of time spent eating and more enjoyment. Um, you know, it really it, it sounds. Like, oh, I, you know, that sounds easy, and I don't know if I could do that or not. But we actually, Richard wrote a, a series for Meridian Magazine, for those of you who are um, familiar with that as an online magazine. That's where the diet, the Bridell Diet was first published. Right. And so we started writing these articles every week, and then people started writing in and like, I have lost 12 pounds. I have lost 15 pounds. I have lost 25 pounds. We started, I think we added up once what people had said they'd lost, and it was, <laughs> it it was, was several hundreds, tons. hundreds and hundreds of pounds. And I don't know whether there are just really a lot of heavy people reading, <laughs> reading that, and they just needed to lose a lot of weight, or whether it just it's just amazing how it works. If you get in your mind, this is what I'm going to do. It was really quite revealing that it actually works. Well, and that's what encouraged us to put it into the book, first with a pseudonym and now with my my real name on it. But again, let me go back because what we're saying here is if you will develop three habits, it this will become a lifetime lifestyle thing and you will not have to think in terms of diet, diet, diet all the time. But they're, they're difficult habits, but they're progressively more difficult. The water habit is not a terribly hard one. If you work on it, if you maybe set up a calendar and check it off each day that you've been successful in always drinking a full glass of water before you start a meal, 
and then always drinking some water before you start a snack. If you can get in that habit, that's number one, and that, that's, that's progress. Then number two, develop the habit of eating slowly, setting your fork down between every bite and really slowing down the sipping, savoring, and, and smelling thing instead of the gulp, gorge, and guzzle. And once you've developed that second habit, then you're ready for the big habit, the most important habit, eating only half of each meal. And you can get to those to that third one if you develop the first habit and the second habit first. If you just try to sit down today and say, I'm only eating half, I guarantee you, you might do it for a couple of meals or a couple of days, but you will not be able to develop that habit unless you first commit yourself to the water habit and to the slow habit. Then you can go to the half habit. Well, let's just close the show going off of the diet and just talking about resolutions because um, even though that works, we do need to think about what we want to do and be for the 2016. And I'd like to suggest that you come up with a word that means a lot to you, that you can keep visible, that shows up in your computer when it pops up every morning so you can remember it. My word for this year is wonder. There is just so much wonder in the world, and we miss it so often. Even, you know, in Utah, we're sitting in smog for the next uh, foreseeable future. And if you look up and think, ugh, another yucky day, then you are going to have a yucky day. But if you think, oh, the world is full of wonder. Look at how beautiful it makes the trees. What can I do today to distract myself? Um, your families are a wonder. You're a wonder. I mean, if, if think of your own word. But it is so fun to keep your mind focused on something positive through 2016. It does make a difference. Well, that's good, Linda. I'll tell you what my word is, 199. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's that's what I want to weigh. Uh, I'm a tall guy. Some of you listeners know I'm six four, and right now I weigh about two hundred and eleven pounds. And I want to weigh one ninety nine. I just want to get below that two hundred. That's my word. I know I'm pulling it back to the diet, but I really believe that that is the best resolution a lot of us can make. And if you need help on this. You know, go online, look for help, or get the new book, The Half Diet Diet. We'll keep talking about it here. We'll be writing about it in our Deseret News column, other things that a lot of you follow. And I'll pull it back to where we started. Don't do it for yourself. Do it for your family. Do it for your children. Do it for your spouse. So, Happy New Year and good luck. Talk again soon. Bye-bye. For years in psychology, they would just study unhappy people, and they'd find out, well, yeah, they're unhappy. And we never really knew what made happy people happy, but we definitely knew what made unhappy people sick. Join Matt.